Did you know that you can stream the best of HBO's shows and more with the new Astro? Better than before, no rain interruptions, no repeats, just stream anytime and on demand via the Astro Ultrabox. It starts from only RM59.90 a month and you can find out more information at astro.com.my. You're listening to the Goggler Podcast, Bahir and Uma with you. And today we're going to be talking about an oldie. Something that came out last year, but we never had a chance to watch it because it skipped Malaysian cinemas. And with obvious reason, Damien Chazelle's Babylon has a lot of nudity that requires censoring and would have never passed our Lumbago Panapisan film. Yeah. However, however, it is now available to watch in its entirety, uncut, uncensored, on HBO Go, which, as we just mentioned, is available on the new Astro. Yeah. So it gave us a chance to finally watch this movie. Why so late, you may ask? Because Bahir and I are good boys, given the work that we do. We do not believe in piracy. And so we thought we'd wait until it hits either a streaming service or be available for digital purchase. And so that's why we're watching it now. I think before the release of Babylon, there was a lot of hype leading into it because the trailer was pretty incredible. It had fantastic names behind it. Damien Chazelle, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. Like, it looked like an amazing cast. And then when the movie came out, the response was incredibly muted. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's right down the middle. It's like a 50% rating, which means as many people disliked it as they did like it. And so we went into this knowing all of that. I think we have very different reactions to this movie, Bahe. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah. You want to go first? Should I go first? This film is excellent in all the ways it needs to be, except for me for one thing where I felt that there was too much going on. Like, I enjoyed a good chunk of this movie, this three-hour film, I just kept finding myself wondering why I had to be paying attention to some of these side characters. And I think that was my issue with it. I think at three hours long, it feels like Damien Chazelle packed it with stuff. If he had just made a two-hour movie and kept it tight to a handful of characters, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Yes, I agree. The movie is beautifully constructed and well-made. It is Damien Chazelle, La La Land, Whiplash, First Man. But given the subject matter he was taking on, it felt to me like this movie was very representative of the story that he was trying to tell. So we'll give you an overview of what that is. The movie opens in 1926. Silent Hollywood is about to end because the jazz singer is about to open like a year from that point. And Damien Chazelle has a bunch of sources for this movie. The first being Hollywood Babylon, which is from filmmaker Kenneth Anger. It's a very famous book, incredibly gossipy. History has shown it to be mostly untrue. And essentially it told a series of vignettes or stories of all the bad behavior that took place in Hollywood during those early days. Another source 
is slightly more reputable. It's called The Parades Gone By, and it's by Kevin Brownlow. And this one is this massive 600-page book that kind of tells a history, an untold history of early Hollywood. And that's a much better, if not as fun, book. Right. And so Chazelle has both of those sources, and the movie feels like that. It feels like this series of vignettes. I agree with you when you say it lacks focus, but I felt like that maybe was the point. It was kind of like made to display the anarchy of the time. For me, when you have to have these discussions about what the director was thinking or what he wanted to be doing, I I feel like a movie falls flat there because a movie's central theme should be obvious or a director's reason for telling a story should be obvious. When we have to try and think about what he wanted to do or try and get in the director's head, director slash writer's head, I think that becomes a problem because you are then imparting opinion and possibility and maybes and and I think he did these kind of things, right? And that for me is a problem when you're doing a three-hour movie. I agree with you. I think there is a point of view where this particular film was trying to show you the lay of the land in 1926, right? At this big moment, this big real shift in an industry from the silent era to the talkies. And that is potentially interesting. However, without a central focus, I feel like I kept getting distracted or the movie kept getting distracted with these big parties and oh look here's another character here's a a femme fatale Asian character who could be gay I felt like I kept getting dragged around and getting distracted by these things like Chazelle was trying to distract me with all these things which I didn't enjoy my biggest criticism of the movie would be that it's made for film geeks in that it remains completely inaccessible to anyone without even a fleeting understanding or recognition of who these yes. people might be. Obviously, the both of us have read quite a bit and we've seen some documentaries on the Golden Age or the Jazz Age. And we know in passing who these people might be or who these people are related to or inspired by. And so maybe that works to some extent. But if you're going into this blind, yeah. I think you will be left a little wanting, if not confused, because watching it will have you go, wait, who's that now? What's going on? What is happening? This feels like an LA movie that's made for an LA crowd. I think even then, an LA crowd in 2023 may miss all of these things. I found myself looking back at Babylon, the film, more positively once I had read and done a lot of research. Correct. You know, it feels like this movie needs to come with a pamphlet that tells you who Nelly Leroy is, that tells you about... I mean, look, they name drop Irving Thalberg, but never really sort of describe... They just assume you know who Irving Thalberg is. Irving Thalberg died when he was in his mid-30s, in 1929, 1930. This was a long, long fucking time ago. You know, it's it's difficult to assume people. And I think that was my issue with it. It feels like there's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of like inside crowd thing that Damon Chazelle is making this movie for. 
but is not letting anybody else in. And that felt annoying. It felt like it required homework. It felt a little self-indulgent. You're right. This took place in the 1930s. Sometimes we deal with a generation of moviegoers that are unaware of movies that played in the 1990s and their cultural impact. So to expect them to know who Irving Thalberg is or understand the joke that's related to it might be a bit of a stretch. However, However, that said, I really enjoyed this film as soon as I let it wash over me. Like, I think the first 24, 25 minutes of this movie, just brilliant. Like, if you enjoy film and if you enjoy the making of film, watching those 24 minutes play out and how Chazelle has crafted this sequence, it starts with three people trying to get an elephant up a hill to a house where there's about to be a massive Hollywood party. Yeah. And then it just tracks its way through this party where all of this insanity is happening. And it paints this incredible anarchic picture of what those days might be like. Yeah. And the one thing I got from watching this movie that I felt I hadn't gotten for a long time out of a Hollywood studio production is sex and debauchery and and it was justified sex and debauchery because it was depicting a time and a place it didn't feel gratuitous it didn't feel unnecessary and i was like yeah this is a major studio production and every major studio production over the last i would say 10 15 years is completely sexless right most of it even if there's nudity in Oppenheimer, it is the most unsexy nudity you've ever seen on film. It's just boring nudity, right? It was also pointless. Because most of the time, they're just like, I don't want an R rating. I want as many people to go and watch this movie as possible. And so a kosher kiss is as sexual as we're going to get. Yeah, yeah. And out of a major studio production, I was like, oh, this is good. This is not shying away from stuff and running away from stuff. To not have us seem like callous cads, I think the point of the nudity in Babylon was that it was a debaucherous time. Chazelle's not looking at it going, oh, look at what we're missing out on now. I think all of this stuff still happens in Hollywood and I think it's hidden a lot better. I think rich people still do crazy shit (laughs) and that's why the public at large on Twitter, on Facebook, on wherever gets so shocked when some big revelation comes out and I'm like, no, no, no. Hollywood's a sick and disgusting place, people. This stuff's been going on for generations. The point in Babylon is that this was, is historically accurate. It is and has been recorded and verified multiple times. So these are things that are not just the fantasies of a male director. It is a retelling of what has happened in history. And I think that's important. And it must be said that the way Chazelle frames it as well isn't gratuitous. It's very by the by. And that's why those first 24 minutes at that party is so fantastic because it's almost like a fly-on-the-wall look at Mm. what it must have been like in the 1920s to be rich and famous in Hollywood. And powerful. Oh, and powerful. Yeah. And to attend one of these ridiculous parties. Yeah. And then the movie kind of shifts a little bit by taking you on set. Like, 
Margot Robbie's character shows up and it's purely by chance that she gets cast in a movie and then we kind of follow her and this PA guy, Manuel, on this journey. The movie's focus doesn't really end there. It kind of jumps around to a whole menagerie, to a whole coterie of characters. And that can be a little confusing. But, admittedly, if you find one of the numerous op-eds out there or look on our upcoming post on Instagram, you might get a better understanding of what's going on. And so... When I recommend this movie, because I think it's a beautifully made movie and I think you should watch it, for me, this is an intermediate film. Yeah. You know, there are beginner movies, intermediate movies, and then advanced movies, right? And for me, yeah. this is an intermediate movie, which means it requires a little bit of homework on your part and you will enjoy it a lot more. But that said, even if you haven't done any homework at all, I believe the filmmaking, I believe the performances, I believe all of that can be appreciated for what it is because they're all pretty great. I also feel like now's a good time to watch Babylon because all the op-eds have passed, all the sort of think pieces have washed away. You can now watch it in a... The idea that some guy in the US didn't like this movie because it had X, Y, and Z or somebody else in New York loved it because it had A, B, and C is irrelevant now. You know, it's it's well past its sell-by date. And I think if you watch it now as an audience member, it'll be fresh for you to just experience it. I think like you said, if you let it just wash over you, I think you'll enjoy the ride. I think that's a very important point. When you watch a movie, greatly affects your experience of that film. There are times when you watch a movie as it just comes out and you've been exposed to Twitter reactions and critical reviews and what your best mate said and you go into this with a tremendous amount of baggage. And it's amazing, even for us as film critics, it's amazing how much that affects how we approach a film. I know a lot of people who go into a movie with sky-high expectations only to completely hate it because of the hype that has been built up by early reactions or early critical reviews. I've re-watched movies much later, like years after they've come out, only to be completely baffled by the initial reaction to them because sometimes the reaction to them is greatly affected by what's happening in the world at that point. And Babylon's a very good example because Babylon came out during what everyone considers to be award season auditions. And given the cast, given the director, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's a show in for the Oscars and blah, blah, blah. And then so when you view it with that lens as well, it's going to completely cloud yeah. your judgment of yeah. a movie because you're thinking, this is not Oscar worthy. What are they talking about? Your description of, of that bias is that you are actively responding to the world. I'm even putting it down to unexpected bias. You're not even expecting it to be great. You're not even expecting it to be award season worthy. However, when you're watching it after having read these reviews or read these opinions, you're personal sort of temperature changes. And I think that's important to note as well. So watching this now, 
I mean, what is it? Almost a year after it came released. Yeah, it was first released in December last year. Oh, wow. Has it been already a year? Almost a year, dude. So I think now's a good time to watch it. And I think everybody should watch it. I think if you're a fan of Damien Chazelle, this is also a must-watch. Just to see the arc of his career and all of the preoccupations he has as a filmmaker. When you look at authors mm. like Damien Chazelle, you can see those preoccupations run through all of their movies. And it's quite interesting to see how Whiplash to La La Land to First Man to this, how it's kind of developed and what he kind of holds on to and what are the stories that he likes to tell. I really liked Whiplash. I loved Whiplash when I saw it. Um, I famously did not like La La Land. I thought First Man was okay. I didn't think it was fantastic. And I think Babylon sort of falls in between that because it feels like, again, it feels like a focus thing. It's the same, I think, my feelings with his with his TV show, which I was really, really hoping to love. The Netflix series called The Eddie. It was fine. It felt like he tripped away from the idea of this jazz club in the center of Paris and went on this journey with these characters that I guess I didn't really care about, which could be a me thing. And I think that was my issue with Babylon. There was a lot of things that were happening that I wanted to know more about, but then he would spend time with the the black jazz trumpeter and give him sort of real weight in the story when I haven't been following his journey. Suddenly, he's given this pivotal moment in the film. All of it was true. Like, it was it's stuff that happened to Duke Ellington. It's stuff that happened to Louis Armstrong. But to suddenly drop that in into a movie where I was caring more about the Brad Pitt character and the Margot Robbie character felt weird. Why are you introducing story arcs for them when you haven't fleshed them out sufficiently in this movie? Yeah. Like, their story arcs exist in history. And I think that's what Damien Chazelle probably expected you to know. And that was my issue with the film. And that's why I said it required homework. And I think if you do the homework, I think you'll enjoy the movie more, which is what I found. Check out Babylon. It's showing on HBO Go, which you can watch on the new Astro. Let us know what you think of the movie once you've seen it, or if you've already seen it, because... It's been out for a year. Let us know what you thought. Did you enjoy the movie? Did you get everything that Damien Chazelle was trying to do? Did it send you down an internet rabbit hole to find out who these people might have been in real life? You know how to reach out. All of our social media feeds are GogglerMY. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. If you drop us a line on any one of those channels, we'll send you a link to join our brand new Discord server where you can chat with us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.